Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Is that okay? Fantastic. So good to be here. I'm so excited this morning. Excited about what God is going to do. Are you hungry for more of God? Is there a longing in your heart for more of His presence? I I can't hear you. (laughs) Is there an expectation in your heart for more of God? Amen. Come on. So we're going to continue our reflection, our meditation on the book of Ephesians. And today I've got the honor of um, looking at Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 1 to 13. I'm so excited when Paul said I should speak on Ephesians 3 and it's like, Paul, have you been reading my emails? <laughs> you know, so prophetic because it's kind of a, a summary or a reflection of all the things that God has been processing in my heart for the last few months. So... What I'm going to be sharing with you this morning is a reflection of my own journey. Um, is um, you know, is what I've you know come to understand through my interaction and through my engagement with God. So it is a little bit raw. So um, take what you can and the one that you can't, you know, you know, leave it to God and process it and you know, talk to Alan <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and Paul and Jackie, Doctor Jackie. So why don't we start by looking at Ephesians chapter 3. Let's just actually read. Let's read. Let's read the, let's read the scriptures. So Ephesians chapter 3, if you have your Bible, and it might come up as well. So I've got a slightly different translation, so just try and follow me. So I'm going to read from verse 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has been given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as if I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages have been made known to the sons of men, have not been made known to the sons of men, as it has not been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophet, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, the partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than least of all the saints, that grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see that is the fellowship of the, of, of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages have been hidden in God, 
who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Christ, Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence, true faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at your tribulation for you, which is for your own glory. So that is the book of Ephesians, chapter 3 from verse 1 to 13. And Paul was, you know, beginning to uh, discuss his, uh, his message to, the, to this group in, 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 in Ephesus, um, what he considered to be the mystery of the gospel. Now, the word mystery might sound very, very obscure and very confusing. Why is it a mystery if it's already revealed? The word mystery is, uh, you know, that in fast two is essentially saying that, look at this revelation of the truth that is in Christ Jesus is only be, going to be given to us through an interaction and true relationship with the person that we, you know, that, we, that we're referring to. So the revelation of the mystery of Christ is essentially saying that you come to know Christ and you get to know, you know who he is gradually unfolding to you. And the, 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 the whole purpose of writing about the mystery of Christ is to try to link up between you know, what the Jews know, you know, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, the early practice of the Christian Jews, you know, to try to bring that together, to harmonize that together, and to present what it is, the eternal purpose of God. And the eternal purpose of God, as we know, is the revelation of Jesus Christ, that in Christ we have access to God. Now, that is a radical, radical thought to Christians in the first century, that the access to God comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. That the union, that the you know, ecstatic union, the, the, the desire to want to be unified with God, which is what the desire of the Jews were all throughout the, you know, uh, the Old Testament, is to be a union with God. That that union can only come through Jesus Christ. And throughout the you know, uh, writings of Paul, you keep hearing the word in Christ, in Christ. Actually, the word in Christ was used 200 times in the writings of Paul. Okay? In Christ, in Christ. He said in Christ we have boldness, in Christ we have access, in Christ we have justification by faith. And the word in Christ is not an abstract word. It's not something that for us to imagine is actually a locative term. Essentially, is being in a place, going into a place whereby you can begin to access all the benefit of what that place provides. So our position is in Christ. And we are seated in heavenly places. So these are not abstract concepts. These are definitions of what Paul wants us to come into. He wants us to come to the realization and the revelation of the fact that our existence is not based on where we are right now, but in another, as it were, another dimension. Okay? Right. 
And when he used the word mysteries, he's trying to explain you know, to, the, to the church in Ephesus that actually what I'm talking to you might not make logical sense to you. You have to come into a relationship. You have to come into an encounter to you to be able to understand what it means. So he said, for instance, I give you an example of in Christ. He said, we become fellow heirs and share of the promises of Christ. We ha- a final purpose of God is accomplished in Christ. We have boldness and access to God in Christ. And that is the summation of the entire scripture. That God, that created man in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, wanted to have a relationship. Yeah. He wants to have a relationship with us. You know, he made Adam, put him in a garden, and said, okay, you know what, we're going to have fellowship together. And man fell. And throughout that process, throughout that journey in the Old Testament, God has always been wanting to come back into that relationship with, with us. That is revealed in Jesus Christ. But throughout the story of the Old Testament, you see again and again and again when God as desired, as long to manifest himself to his people. And the manifestation of God to his people, you know, is, it, it comes in as a way in a different layers of experiences. So I give you an example. In Adam, you know, God said, okay, well, let's, you know, meet together at the cool of the day, you know, and have a chat. Okay, that doesn't seem very overpowering or over, you know, overcoming, but that was a relationship that God wanted with Adam. Then we come to Moses. You know, uh, Moses was a man that was chosen by God to lead the children of God out of Israel. He had an encounter with this bush that was burning, this, 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 this thing that was in flame, um, but the bush was not being consumed. And he said, hmm. Wonder what that is. And he turned into it to find out what is going on there. Then he found out that God spoke to him. And that is God again trying to reveal himself to, you know, to Moses in a practical, physical way. For the children of Israel, they went into the wilderness. And God said, okay, you know what? I'm going to be with you on this journey. And what is going to think that is, one of the things that was happening with them was that he's going to send his sword is pillar of fire to be with them at night. Now, that is a tangible, visible demonstration of what the glory of God is. When Moses got to Mount Sinai, he said, you know, show me your glory. I want to see your face. And we heard that what happened in Mount Sinai was fire and lightning and thunders and all sorts of amazing things that was going on in the background. And that was a manifestation of the glory of God to the children of Israel. And that was a journey they had in all through their life. You know, then we got into, you know, places like, um, like Elijah, you know, when, um, you know, Elijah was being separated from Elisha. And, um, you know, and they were going, and they were going. And all of a sudden, he said, I want a double portion of, you know, of your spirit. You know the story. And the Bible says, at one point in time, the fire came down from heaven and separated what? The two of them. And Elijah was carried out into heaven in a a chariot of fire. 
Now, that might be too stretching, you know, for our mind to understand. You going out with your friend, and all of a sudden, a chariot comes and takes him away into heaven. And what it was Elisha's reform, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. So he had an experience, he had a vision of what this chariot is. Who is this God of Israel that suddenly manifested and separated me from my friend? Okay? You know, David said, he said, the chariots of the Lord are what? 10,000, 1,000, and many, many, many thousands. That was an experience of the glory of God that David attested to. Isaiah in the book of, in Isaiah chapter 6, he was in the temple, doing, minding his own business, or whatever he is, and the glory of the Lord came. It was like a tongue of fire on his lips. And he said, woe is me for I'm undone. Because my eyes have seen the Lord of glory. That was the experience of the people of God. Then we'll come to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1, chapter 8. He had these ecstatic experiences of the glory of God. There were angels, there were cherubims, there were orphanims, the whales. They came on a throne carrying the presence of God. And what he saw there was the appearance of a son of man. And, and that glory was God revealing himself again to his people. Are you seeing the pattern now? Yeah. There is glory which comes through fire. Yeah. There is lightning. There is thunder. And God unveiling himself. We get to Daniel chapter 8, this, chapter 7, 8 and 9. Same experiences. Daniel saw this glory of this amazing ancient of days that suddenly appeared. You know, to him. And we go through the scriptures, you know, we saw that in Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, the Bible says the light was what? Coming out of him. And Moses and Elijah showed up. Okay? You know, that might be stretching. I mean, talking, we're discussing the scripture now. We're just looking at the Bible, you know, because this worldview. It's not strange to the first century Christians. It's not strange to the Jews. Okay, that Elijah showing up for tea is not a problem at all for them to understand because that was part of their belief system. Now, we have a belief system that does not necessarily allow us to to embrace that kind of concept. It sounds very, very radical, but that is what I'm trying to get to. You know, in terms of being able to push us to actually begin to look at our world system and our worldview, you know, differently. So Elijah and Moses showed up, and the disciples said, okay, you know what, let's just make three, three, three boots, three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, so that, Lord, we could just hang out here, you know, forever, and we'll just have a party, you know, talking to Elijah and Moses and Jesus. But that was not the eternal purpose of God, but that was what came. Okay, we saw that with Paul on the way to Damascus. He got knocked off his horse or donkey and said, a light from heaven, he said, ooh, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. All of a sudden, this Jesus that he was persecuting suddenly became a physical reality to him. Are you seeing the journey of the scriptures? We saw that in Acts chapter 2. 
they gathered together in one accord, and what happened? The fire came. The fire came and landed upon them as they were gathered together in one We celebrate Pentecost. That is who we are. That is what we believe. That the fire, God, revealed his glory in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and it came through these encounters with God. Now, these encounters are not meant just for the fun of it. It's meant to draw you in into a relationship with him. It's to give you a hunger and expectation for more of the glory of God. You know, if you have encounters, manifestation of angels, if it doesn't draw you closer to who God is, then it's of no meaning you know, you know, uh, to you. So this expectation, this encounter is meant to draw you in into, into his presence of God. And you begin to see that there is a pattern in the scriptures. When God revealing his glory means fire and light. And, that, and it came again, 1906, in Azusa. The fire came. We're still living in the reality of the expression of the outpouring of that fire in 1906. There is nothing wrong with this fire when it comes. And that's what we're praying for, isn't it? That Lord, we want your glory. Because the manifest glory of God could come in any way. It could come like a wave, it could come like a wave, but it could come like fire as well. And that is a pattern we begin to see in the scripture that God wants to show up. He wants to manifest himself. And the way God manifests himself is to allow you, is to give you an opportunity for you to open the door so that he can come in and be who he wants to be. The, the, the eyewitness in, uh, in Azusa, I'm just, uh, oh, I'm not following this slide. <laughs> That's a fantastic book on, uh, on, on the revival in Azusa. And this is one of the eyewitness accounts. Lake explained that the fire was coming down from heaven into the building. And the fire was going up from the building and meeting the fire that was coming down. Wow. Essentially, fire going up and fire coming down. Fascinated, Sister Kani went out one night, walked around the block, and saw the awesome sight for herself. She noted that the Shekinah glory, which they call it, the fire, they call it the Shekinah glory. Sorry, uh, although, the, sorry although the Shekinah glory, the cloud, the misty stuff, they call the Shekinah glory the misty stuff. So there is smoke in the meeting and there is fire as well. He said the Shekinah glory, the mystery stuff, was present at all the time within the meeting. But the divine fire connection was not a daily occurrence. Thank God. It wasn't a daily occurrence. But the fire came. The fire brigades were there. And that was the eyewitness account of what happened in Azusa. Could it be just a thought that God might want to reveal again his glory in this way again? During, this, during, during our time. Could it be that God is longing for a people, maybe the bay, the church, longing in our heart to receive that visible, tangible demonstration of God's glory in our life? Could it be that God wants to manifest himself in his glory, you know, to us? It's great to see 
the cloud of witnesses that are here this morning. It's great to see the church in heaven gather with us. It's great to see the angels that are present with us. But wouldn't it be great <laughs> if God begins to manifest them in our meeting? Because this is our living reality. Do we want that? Is that what we want? Because we're going to pray. Should we pray for that? <laughs> I mean, you, <laughs> is that what we want? Is that what I have desire? Okay, so can we stand up? Let's pray. If you want to raise up your hand to God and just speak to Him, you know, communicate your desire and expectation to Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ah, thank you, Lord. Lord, we long for your fire, O oh God. We long for your presence, O oh God. We long for more encounters with you, O oh God. Father, Lord, we want your manifest glory, O oh God. We want you to come, O oh God, in your glory, O oh God. We want you to come with your power, O oh God. We want you to come amongst us, O oh God, like in the day of Pentecost, O oh God. We want your fire, O oh God. Lord, like Azusa, O oh God, we want your fire, O oh God. We want a visible demonstration of your glory, O oh God. At this time in this place, O oh God, Lord, the world needs it, O oh God. The society needs to see, O oh God, your glory, O oh God. We want your glory, O oh God. We want your glory. We want your presence, O oh God. Yes, Lord Jesus, we want your fire, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. More, Lord. We want your fire, Lord. Let it come, Lord. Let it come, O oh God. Come in your glory, O oh God. Come in your power, Lord. Come, O oh God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to take your seat? Ha. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ah. The message of the New Testament and the Old Testament as well is that the heaven is open. The heaven is open. And we have access by faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we need to stop this religious thing that we're doing. Okay? Pretending <laughs> as if we are not truly seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is not an abstract thing. That is a living reality of experiences that Jesus wants to give to us. That we are seated with him. That we are experiencing in his fullness and in his power. Okay? It's not okay to have religious thought. It's not okay to have this revelation in our mind, in our head. You know, the Jewish worldview, the Hebraic worldview, is that truth only comes through an encounter. 
So you do not know the truth by thinking it in your head alone. That's a very Greek system. It's a linear, Greek system is a linear closed system. So you believe, you know something because it's in your head. Whereas for the Jews, it's like a spiral. You come through encounters, through revelation. You know something in your head, you experience it, then it goes bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's why we cannot know the all of God. God has to begin to reveal himself little by little to us, based on where we are. It's a personalized expression of God's glory. So God will not take you beyond where you are. It will not, it will not violate your sovereignty as an individual. You have to make that decision. You have to make that desire that, no, I want to step into what God has got for me. Okay? So the heaven is open. The kavod, the glory of God, is, a, you know, is, is available and is present to us uh, uh, in, 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 in this day and age. For the first century, you know, Christians, this is not a radical or a different encounter. This is not a radical thought to them. This is... You know, there are evidences to believe that this was their practice, engaging God and experiencing the glory of God in their meetings. Now, if you want to have a, a book to read for the summer, this is a fantastic book to read. It's called um, Mysticism in the Gospel of John. This was a PhD thesis from the University of Durham, where somebody spent a lot of time analyzing the first century Christians. What did they do? What is their practice? How do they believe? And it came to a really fascinating conclusion. Fascinating conclusion, I'll say. It said our study earlier has shown that it's not improbable, that means it's possible, <laughs> that the joining community, I mean the people that gather around John, the apostle, you know, when he wrote the gospel, was a mystical community. Wow. Which yeah, yeah, a mystical community which used to see God's glory in Christ, especially at the time of worship. So, page 309, you want to read it? It's great. I mean, it, get, you know, it, it gets lost a little bit in Greek, so, you know, sometimes you, you're lost in you know, trying to follow his thought. But, you know, fantastic conclusion, excellent research. In, and that is a thought of quite a lot of New Testament scholars now are beginning to look at the, Old Test, at, at the early Christians from the eye, from the lenses of the Old Testament Jewish practices to see exactly what it is that these Christians in the first century, you know, Jerusalem did. How did they practice? How did they worship? What, did they, what was different about them? In, and how is that different from us? And there are lots of excellent theses, lots of, you know, lots of research in, into that. And more and more are coming out, looking at other texts as well, you know, from other, from other literature to, com to come to a conclusion that actually what we're talking about here is an expression of faith that is based on reality and manifestation. Yeah. And that's why I think, the, you know, the book of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, was not a strange phenomenon. You know, because people are used to this kind of way of thoughts. They are used to God showing up in that particular way. Now, we need to move. We need to transition ourselves. We need to transition ourselves from our own worldview that do not allow for manifestation of divine encounters. Okay? We need to change our mindset that actually we live in a world 
that is full, we live in a church that is full of hosts of heaven, angelic presence, the throne of God is manifest amongst us. God wants to come in our meeting and manifest himself in his glory and his power. And that is where we want to get to. Okay? This thought, you know, that we're talking about, is still very present among the Jewish community. I got that from one of the websites. There's still a cup of Elijah. Somebody somewhere in Bencham, Newcastle, is still waiting for Elijah to show up for tea. You know, let us just think. That is their expectation. That is what they believe. And that is in not inconsistent with the Old Testament scriptures. It's not inconsistent with the New Testament scriptures. So this is our challenge this morning. We need to change our worldview. We need to change the way we think. We need to change the way we think about God, about who he is, and about what he wants to do. Okay? Think about that. What about post-manifestation, you know, you know, the, the post-epiphany manifestation of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ showing up to the, on the road to Emmaus after he was dead, buried, came back to life, started showing up to people. Yeah, I agree. What about Paul, the apostle on the road to Damascus? And he boasts about it, that that was a seal, that was the, that was the evidence of his apostleship. The appearance or the manifestation of, of Christ to him, just like he did for all the other you know, uh, apostles. And this thing is, is right there you know, in the book of Revelation. John, he saw Jesus Christ, his face what? As, as, as a son. Okay? His face shining like the sun. That was his experience. It's not difficult for him to live in that place. And that is what Paul is referring to when he's talking about references that we are in Christ, we are in the heavenly places, because there is an activity, there is a purpose for those expressions. Okay? So let's look at the heavenly places of Paul. So, we are seated where? In heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing comes from the heavenly places. Principalities and powers, dominions are manifested, power is manifested in the heavenly places. We are quickened in the heavenly places. We are raised in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God is displayed in the heavenly places. The mystery of God revealed in the heavenly places. The purpose of the ages is revealed in the heavenly places. The display of the power of God is where? The rulers of darkness of this world 
you know, rulers of darkness is a standard by which wickedness, you know, roast of wickedness, the rulers of darkness and host of wickedness is a standard by which wickedness is measured that affects our city, that affects our community. Where are they? In the heavenly places. So when Paul says, okay, well, we are with Christ in the heavenly places, is not just, you know, a concept or an idea. It's because there is a purpose, there is a job, there is something to be done in that place. You know, we are, you know, with Christ. And one of the things that, you know, we, we you know, getting to learn, you know, uh, that um, sometimes, you know, our prayer is a lot more effective when we step into these places, into these heavenly places, when we, when, when, you know, when we can, as a way, you know, picture ourselves together with Christ and speaking from that position of authority into our situation. Does that make sense? Okay, so if Jesus said, you know, Paul said, you know, that, you know, Jesus has sat us on in, 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 in heavenly places. Sometimes what I, what I do that is helpful for me is to actually imagine me sitting with Christ in heavenly places. Okay, it's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. You know, that transition gradually into dreams, that transition into vision and all the rest of it. But I have to make that decision. Okay, if I'm sitting with Christ and this is a place whereby I'm going to release whatever it is you know, that God wants me to release, then I can imagine myself. So even if I want to pray, you know, start by just coming to that place of imagination, coming to that place of thought that, okay, well, I'm seated in Christ, with Christ, and I'm going to now speak with authority over a situation, over a sickness, over a circumstances. Okay. If we want to see a change in our society, if we want to see a change in our, in our community, we need to engage the, in the heavenly places. Now, there's a lot we can do, you know, um, so there's a lot of damage we can do to ourselves by not following off, understanding the protocols by which powers are displaced in the heavenly places, okay? Sometimes it's great to bind and lose. I don't really do that very much. But I try to find my position in Christ and speak from where Christ is seated into the situation that I'm trying you know, to deal with. Okay? So our engagement should be, first of all, to find where Christ is in this situation, to find where Christ is in our community, to find where Christ is seated. And from that place, for that place of engagement in Christ, begin to speak to situation and circumstances. Now, there are so many you know, other references you know, to heavenly places in the writing of Paul, which you know, I really encourage you to you know, just take a time to analyze it and try to understand what exactly it is, what he's trying to say. And the glories of God, the, 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 the revelation of the glory of God, as we know, is displayed in the heavenly places. So when we're talking about this glory, this manifestation of God, what God wants to release you know, uh, uh, amongst us, that glory, that presence is displayed when we engage in our spirit in the heavenly places. Okay? So this is an example of a living reality. Um, you know, I mean, like, um, you know, talking about imagination, and this is a very good scripture that really, really will help us with that. 
Sometimes this is why, you know, when I pray, this is how I try to picture, you know, my prayer, you know, as to this is what is actually going on, you know, when I come before God. So the Bible says we've come to where? Mount Zion. Okay. The city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. To what? The myriads of angels. To the general assembly of the church of the firstborn that is enrolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all. And to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, can you imagine all of that in your living room when you're trying to pray? That is, that is the reality of, of our life. You know, we're not trying to be that. That is where we are. Okay? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is what goes on when you pray. So the key question is, are you going to engage with that? Or are you just going to, you know, say, I don't really want to deal with this. Yeah. But engaging with this reality enables our prayer to be more meaningful. So when I come, I come before God, my Father. So I take a step of faith into his presence. Okay, here am I, before the God, who is the judge of all, the one that is going to make decisions about everything. Yeah. Okay, I'm coming through faith in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is there as my mediator, okay, on that side. His blood is speaking on my behalf that is forgiven, is forgiven, is forgiven. The angels of God, the myriads of angels are, are gathered together. You know, those are the people that carry out the assignments and the instructions and the prayers, you know, of the saints. Those are the people that fulfill the assignment. They are gathered together. You think about it like a theater. You are right in the middle, and you're surrounded yeah. by all of us. Yeah. We're talking about the spirit of just made me perfect, the saints that of God that have died, yeah, but they're still alive, okay? They are dead, but not really dead. You know, they are there with you as well. And that is your place where you begin to, you know, to offer your prayer. You know, can you, if you now pray from that place with the assurance in your heart that this is what is going on, how much more confidence do you have when you pray? How does that help your prayer life? Knowing that this is what is for me. This is what God has said about my situation, about my circumstances. And I'm declaring whatever it is I'm going to declare from this environment. Okay? That is our living reality. And that is what God wants for us. That is what God wants for us individually when we, you know, when we do our prayer, when we do our stuff. And that is what God wants for us when we gather together on Sunday. You know, on a Sunday morning, God arranged the rooms differently. You know, there are different, uh, you know, uh, 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 different manifestations of the Spirit that comes with us. And we can engage with it, or we can dis decide to disengage with it, and we can walk with it, you know, and through walking with it, we begin to experience more of, of that visible manifestation. Now, I don't like talking about experiences a lot because I think it's not about my experience, it's about your experience, actually. Yeah. Okay? It is about your experiences, about your encounters with God and what impact that is made into your Christian journey and your relationship with God that matters. Okay? But sometimes it's good to listen to other people that are 
you know, stepping out in some of this, in some of this grace. You know, I think Speakers of Life is a very good, you know, it's a very good place, you know, for you to begin to experience, for you to begin to step out in the prophetic and other, you know, manifestation of the Spirit. Um, I think it's relevant. I think it's useful. I think it's important that we, we all begin to experience the presence of God in this tangible way. Now, the, 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 the encounters with God does not necessarily come through visions. It does not necessarily come through hearing. It does not necessarily come through feeling. It can come in different ways. Okay? So I'm not just talking about being able to see in the spirit, although John chapter 3 says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Essentially, the kingdom of God is meant to be seen. It's meant to be encountered. It's meant to be a living reality in your life. Okay? So the, 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 the grace of God is available for us to engage with the kingdom of God. So, but it will be different from each one of us. Some of us will have it differently. Some of them will see it differently. But it is important that we are making that decision, you know, to, to, to step in together. Now, how does it apply to us, you know, as a body? You know, because I wanted to have uh, what I call a corporate application. You know, so if we go back to the first century, you know, Christianity, uh, 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 so we're sitting with John right now, John the Apostle or Andrew, or Peter, you know, and um, what would they, what what would the structure of our meeting, you know, if they want to influence the structure of the way we do things in this 21st century, what what kind of things would they be suggesting? Is that a crazy thought? Yeah, but I, you know, do think that way, you know, it's like, (laughs) how, how did they do it? Okay, from what we've seen, and how can, we have, how can we learn from what they've done, and how can we change, you know, the way we do things, okay? Uh, and I'm going to learn it on that one. Now, first of all, is what I've been saying, you know, changing our worldview. We need to change the way we think. We need to begin, you know, the Bible says repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So repentance is actually a change of thought, change the way you think. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. So the way you see the kingdom of God is by changing your, your perception of reality. Right. Okay? If you change your perception of reality, then you experience the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said, repent. Yeah. Metanoia. Change the way you think. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. So the first thing we need to do is to begin to change our worldview. Okay? And that enables us to begin to open up in faith to the possibilities of God encountering us in a more tangible and a more meaningful way. Okay? So when we gather together on a Sunday morning, and Paul is very, very direct, you know, Apostle Paul is very, very clear about direction, you know, about corporate gathering. Why? Because I think it's very, very important. Because the corporate gathering of the people of God is an expression of the local uh, of, the, of the local church that is gathered on earth in union with the church that is gathered in heaven. So when we come together, there is a clear direction, there is a clear prescription as to how do we organize our meeting. And there are so many examples of that in the, in the writings of Paul. Uh, but one of the ones I want to focus on is, um, you know, the corporate expression, you know, of the glory of God in the first testament, you know, in, in the first century church. I mean, ha- how did that happen? You know, how did, they, how did they gather together to experience a union, to experience a, 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 a union with Christ, essentially? I've got some thoughts, 
you know, and this is just a reflection of what I'm thinking, and I'm not sure it's completely 100% accurate. I'm just reflecting on what I thought, you know, um, what, what that meeting could look like. And I'm praying that I will be able to see that in the spirit sometimes. So when we come together, um, we come on a Sunday morning to participate together, to, to, to walk together, to press in into something, you know, for not just for us, but for, you know, for, 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 the, for the, everybody that is gathered together. You know, and one of the instructions, you know, that David gave, you know, for coming to God's presence is that we'll come with thanksgiving in our heart. Okay, so I will enter his gate with thanksgiving. I will come into his courts with praise. praise. Now, that is a very, very simple step of encountering or pressing into the presence of God. So, thanksgiving is a sacrifice. Okay, and that's why David says, bring what? The sacrifice of thanksgiving. Why? Because it's very difficult to be thankful to God for when life is really, really hurts. When things are not going right, it's difficult to be thankful. Okay, and that's why you know, sometimes thanksgiving is a sacrifice. So to be thankful, we have to practice almost a discipline of recollection, whereby we call to our mind what God has done. Because that is the place where thanksgiving starts. We need to recall. Bring it in. You know, so, and it's a discipline because it doesn't come naturally, actually. You know, um, you, know you think about your family, you think about your job, you think about your society, you think about, you know, anything that you can mention. Whatever it is that you can be thankful God, to God for is a key for entering into his presence. That is what we offer as praise to God. Okay? That is our praise. So when we come on a Sunday morning, the musicians, is just to help us engage. You know, the music is, you know, perhaps, you know, helps lower our inhibition so that we don't, we're not thinking about other things. They are there to facilitate our engagement with God, but we need to come in our heart with thanks. So by the time you're coming through that door, you've got a list in your hand. This is what I'm grateful to God for. So that by the time we come into praise, we are speaking, declaring in our heart individually, God, this is what I'm grateful to God for. That is what enables us to come corporately into his presence. So can you see every one of us has something to do there? It's a lot of hard work to spend, to recollect what God has done. It is hard. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It is hard. You know, to put that in remembrance that this is the way I come into his presence. So that praise is meant to help us to connect, you know, together and to bring us in unity together into this worship, into this admiration of this amazing God and what he has done. Okay, so we stay in that place of admiration from thanksgiving when we begin to declare what he has done over us, over our family, what he has become to us in our situation. We stay in that place of praise until we break into worship. So worship is when you go, you step away from praise and you begin to admire really who God is. And that comes by declaration. It doesn't come by thinking about it. You know, uh, it, it comes by speaking it out. You know, maybe the music, again, is to enable us 
you know, to a speaker without somebody else hearing us. Okay? It enables us to break into that place of worship. That place of worship, that place of admiration of God, of who God is, is the place we really want to be. We want to be able to break into that spontaneous excitement of who God is, admiration of who God is. If we come all together on a Sunday morning, and this is what our practice is, we come with the thanksgiving, you know, ready to pray that sacrifice of thanksgiving, we come gather together, declaring the praise to God until we come to that place of admiration of who God is. Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. That is where the glory of God begins to manifest. Okay? So our praise needs to be so high, our worship needs to be so deep in our heart, so we speak it out with our mouth to praises to God, the worship comes from our heart and it's so deep, so deep, you know, to God until we break into that place, persist onto that place of glory, onto that place of visible, tangible demonstration of the glory of God. That is what our corporate gathering, that's what we long for, you know, when we come together. That will come with praise in our heart. That our worship becomes so deep, admiration of who God is. That we persist in that place of worship and thankfulness, thank, thankfulness to God and admiration of who God is until we begin to experience His presence. And we allow ourselves to be changed. Okay? You know, if you think about it, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a traditional culture, you do not appear before a king without getting a benefit out of it. You know, you go and look at all the Asian cultures. First of all, you don't get to see the king anyway. You know, it's like so exclusive. But when you come in, there is always, a, there is always something that flows out, you know, from that presence. And that is what it is like when we come together when we come together to worship God, there is a lot of stuff that God just wants to release, you know, over us. You know, there are lots of things that he's carrying that he just wants to, you know, bless us with. Yeah. And the fact that he likes showing up, and we've seen that in the scriptures, you know, he just wants to bless his children again and yeah. again and again and again. So we need to come with expectation in our heart. We need to change our worldview that God is abstract and is distanced. We need to change, you know, to believing that God is present and is ever with us all the time, is right next to us, and he wants to reveal himself again in a greater degree of glory. Like a spiral, you know, you just kept getting bigger and bigger, and as you cannot know the limit of God. The more you step in, the more you experience. The more you step in, the more you experience. And that is where we want to be. And I believe that is a corporate word of God for us, you know, as a church that we really want to press into this glory. We want to press in to the glory of what God is God for us. And we're going to have to walk together on this one. We're going to have to walk together on this one. We're going to have to walk like, you know, first century Christians, you know, coming together, gather together to praise and to worship God genuinely in their heart, with thanksgiving in their heart, with worship so deep, and breaking into the presence of the glory of God. And together we begin to change the atmosphere of our city, we begin to have an influence in the heavenly places over what you know, goes on within our region. 
That is the word of the Lord for us. That is what God desires for us. That is the, what I believe God wants to put into the DNA of the bay. You know, that we have become a true community of people that are gathered together in the spirit, that walk together in the spirit and are able to release together corporately the presence and the glory of God. Okay? So let's pray. Let the fire come, O oh God. So, Father Lord, we uh, declare our intention. This is what we want. This is what is in our heart, O oh God. That we want to be a true, genuine community of people that are longing, that are stewarding, that are, that are, that are desiring, O oh God, your glory. That is desiring, O oh God, your presence, O oh God. The Lord, we will be your God. Yes, a community of people, oh God, that is longing, oh God, for corporate encounters of your manifestation of your glory, oh God. Lord, I pray like you did in Azusa, oh God, that you would do it here, oh God. Lord, that you will bring your glory, oh God, that you will bring your fire, oh God, that you bring a tangible demonstration of your power and of your presence, oh God. That the glory, O oh God, of this house, O oh God, will go and flow to the ends of the earth, O oh God. That the power of God, that the purpose, O oh God, for which the church, O oh God, the bearers come together, O oh God, will be released, O oh God, and will be displayed, O oh God, in the heavenly places, O oh God, over this region, O oh God. That, Lord, you will bring, O oh God, you will bring help, O oh God, from above, O oh God. You will bring the grace that we need, O oh God, to step into this corporately, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus.